Hey, y'all, and welcome to Pain in the Pod. I hope everyone enjoyed your summer and listened to a lot of great podcasts. Please reach out to me on social media at Pain in the Pod and let me know if you can recommend a podcast I should listen to. I'm always looking for something interesting, as you know. And also, as a reminder, Pain in the Pod is now on Patreon. You can get bonus content over there from many of my episodes. So check it out, patreon.com slash pain in the pod. Now, on to my guest today. Today, I'm excited to be in our D.C. studio with Megan Clardy and Jack Moore of WTOP. WTOP is a local news service here in D.C., and we all rely on it for our news and weather and traffic. So ever since the so-called mansion murders happened in D.C. in 2015, Megan and Jack have been the reporters that have covered it from start to finish. They have an amazing podcast called 22 Hours, an American Nightmare that is not only a look back into the phone calls and reporting from the time of the murders, but it also takes us step-by-step through the trial of the convicted killer, Darren Went. So as a refresher, Darren Went is uh, convicted of going into the home of the D.C. power couple, Savos and Amy Savopoulos, and brutally torturing and murdering them, along with their 10-year-old son, Philip, and their housekeeper, Vera Figueroa. And at the end, he set the house on fire. So you may remember the case because Darren's DNA was found on a pizza crust, Uh, inside the house, which was burned out. The case has just so many twists and turns. I was thinking about it this morning on the way over here, like how to even uh, get through all the information. So I'm going to do my best. Welcome to Megan and Jack. Thanks for having us. Hi. Did I get that all right? Yeah. (laughs) I did. I don't know what else we have left to say. No, I'm just kidding. That's it. We're done. We have a lot. A lot. Uh, Yes. Uh, So tell uh, tell me and the listeners a bit about your background just as reporters uh, here in the D.C. area for WTOP. Um, so I am a crime and courts reporter for WTOP and have been um, for a couple of years now. I've been there for seven years. And before that, I was a TV reporter. And so I guess my background has always I mean, it has sort of come to be more in the justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've never done any project like this before. So I've covered ca- plenty of cases and, and murders and, you know, different types of crimes. But this is the only podcast that we've ever turned out of a trial that we've covered. And I actually, in 2015, I wasn't at WTOP. I I was in D.C. and I certainly remember hearing about this case and just as a consumer of local news being completely fascinated and horrified by this crime. And it wasn't until last fall, I'm a digital reporter now at WTOP, and last fall when, when the trial rolled around three years after the killings, uh, Megan was assigned to cover it for, for on air. And we just, our boss just had a sense that this was going to be um, a really complex trial. And so they decided to have two reporters on it, a digital reporter and an on air reporter. And we kind of tag teamed it. Um, Megan most days was in the courtroom and I was back in the newsroom and she would um, take a photo of her notes. She took very detailed notes, took a photo of it, would email it to me. I would read through it and then she would call me when there was a break in the trial and we would kind of get on the same page like, oh, this person testified. And then there was a few days when I was in the in the um, courtroom as well. So that's really the genesis of how we decided um, you know, maybe we could do something more with this after the trial lasted so long. Then there was a verdict and we thought, you know, what about all this material that we still have? Maybe mm-hmm. we could do something more with it. Yeah. I mean, to say you had a lot of material is, I <laughs> mean, you have so much material. Like I said, on the way over here, I was thinking like, oh, I forgot to write this in my notes. Or I forgot to write this in my notes. And I was sort of uh, re-listening to the first episode and the last episode, having listened to everything in between, just trying to jog my memory. And so so let's start at the beginning. So you decide to turn it all into a podcast. So how do you sort of get all that volume of information that you had 
and say, here's how we're going to sort it out. We're going to sort it out into episode one. And I will highly compliment you on episode one where it starts off with the 911 call and then from the firefighters' actual audio from inside the house. Like that's a great way to start and also so horrifying. You realize right away like what a horrifying story this is. So how did you how did you sort through it all? Oh, it's how, how long is this podcast? Um, no, I mean, I think that the most of that goes to Jack. I mean, he has created he's like the Google Doc king um, and has created all of these basically spreadsheets because there are so many details. And part of the reason we created this podcast would be, was because most of those details had never been reported. I mean, for WTOP, I had I would do, you know, a 40 second story every day. Right. Well, by the time you tell this what happened. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the mansion murders? This is what happened. And then say oh, the guy who's charged, you know, he's in trial and then say the main thing that happened. That's 40 seconds. I mean, that's pretty much it. So there was just so much still, you know, meat on the bone, if you will. Um, and so he we basically went through all those notes kind of cataloged what we wanted to, you know, not forget, essentially. And then he kind of we kind of laid out laid it out almost like chapters of a book. Right. And mm-hmm. then put in, you know, all the details basically into those chapters sort of loosely so we didn't forget to add them and then backed it up and started writing. But Jack was the one who kind of took, you know, yes, they were great notes. I mean, I actually really glad we took good notes. But that, that just because it's written on a paper doesn't mean it's going to go right into a Word doc, you know? Right. So it was a lot of transferring and making sure, you know, we we put the right detail in the right part of the story. And it was a lot. It was a lot. And, and credit and, goes to you. Well, it was totally collaborative. And and the um, from a storytelling perspective, I think, especially with that first episode, what we wanted to do is um, because we knew that this a story would fascinate um, people locally, but also nationwide. So we really kind of were thinking of two audiences. And for a local audience, you know, the mansion murders, as as people know it here, was I think people maybe felt like that story had been told. So we had to retell the story in a completely different way. So I think in the beginning, what we really wanted to do was kind of defamiliarize the listener. So we didn't you know, we started with a 911 call, so they knew there was a fire at a house, but we didn't tell you what house it was. We didn't say, you know, we didn't give all the details. We we followed those firefighters just rushing into that smoky, smoke-filled house with no idea what they would find. We didn't want to, we just wanted to approach this from the very, very beginning, like as if we were back in May 2015 and nobody knew what had happened. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of, for listeners who already were familiar with the story, it made them think about it in a new way. And for listeners who had had um, no familiarity with the story, it was like we were retelling it from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Because I knew the story, obviously didn't know every single detail, but I knew the story and that the way you were breaking it down. And then as we're getting more and more into the podcast, and I assume maybe uh, here we are recording in August, we're getting towards the end, I can't even imagine there's so many unanswered questions still so how do you guys deal with that like hmm. you've been work, you've been working on, I mean you've been Megan you've been working on it for four years now so how do you sort of go to bed at night like okay tomorrow I'm gonna uh cover the DC bake-off not really but you know right. what I mean yeah put it behind you um well I will say we are full-time on this still because um Unlike other podcasts, perhaps, we didn't have all of them all done when mm-hmm. we dropped it. Right. So we are still working and writing as we go. Right. Um, so I'm still working on it. But, you know, it's funny. I feel like it's there's been sort of an evolution in personally in how I've um, covered the case and how I've 
processed it, I guess is the best way to say, because initially it was sort of like this almost like fireworks. Like it just there's these details were like, OK, there's a fire. OK, there's there's people inside. Oh, my God, there's a child inside. You know, like it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And then there was such a silence in this case for so many years. I mean, we didn't hear a thing until this trial. And then it was just like a fire hose of information at you. Right. Um, And honestly, it was sort of frustrating is the word that comes to mind, because as we say in the podcast, you know, the details weren't presented in order. And that's not how the the prosecution or the defense has to do it. They want to present the details that they think are relevant. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, they kind of tie it up. Right. Right. But as it's happening, we like every day I'd be like, okay, wait, well, if she made the call at 930, then what does that mean to, you know, just random little facts that I couldn't square, you know, and that was driving me crazy as unanswered questions. And now as we have this podcast basically put together, we know their timeline of events. We know where the evidence fits. We know, you know, how everything kind of lays out and it leaves you with the sort of the, the bigger questions, I think less about the details of, you know, how did he get in or, I don't even know. There's like so many. Or or how come one one the fire started in one bedroom and not the other? Right. Like I mean just things you're just like, okay, I, I'm gonna let that one go. But the the bigger reasons, like why? I have a question why? as to when he went with his brother to his car and there was a gas can, but then there was another gas can found in the house. Mm-hmm. I have a question I have questions about the gas cans. Like I was thinking about that today, this morning actually, like, were there two gas cans? Well, that's one of the things in we don't know how the fire was started at the at the house, at the Savopolis house, because um, there was gasoline used to accelerate the flames. But um, there were gas cans in the house, but they were in the garage in a closet and they were covered in dust. You know, nobody Mm -hmm. had touched those. Mm -hmm. So where did the gas come from? I mean, if the if the intruder brought gas with him, then that would indicate some level of planning, you know, that that this was – that he was planning to do this. Otherwise, then he would have had to leave the house and get gas and then come back to the house and burn. Mm-hmm. And right. burn. So it's just, it's it's odd. It's one of those things that um, that we don't have an answer for. And we have Darren coming back into the house at noon the day of the murders when he's seen slipping into the garage. Right. But he doesn't have like a gas can or anything with him. The, the people who saw him didn't see that. So it's like we're where, you know, that's where, did question. where did the gas come right. from? Right. And, and that's one of the things covering the trial that was so fascinating and so frustrating is that, you know, a trial is um, really kind of, among other things, two purposes to, you know, assign culpability to a person who's a- accused of doing something, but also to determine facts. Juries are the final arbiters of the facts of a case, you know, and when in a trial like this where somebody proclaims their innocence and they present an alternative theory, you know, the the jurors came up with a verdict. Were they agreeing with, you know, the all of the facts of one side of the case versus another? That's something that's harder to say. You know, clearly they felt like there was, a, you know, enough evidence to support a conviction. Mm-hmm. But when we're trying to find out what really happened over those 22 hours in that house and after, you know, for days afterward, um, that's one of the things. Will we ever know? I don't know because, you know, Darren Wynn has a very different explanation right. for, for what happened. Totally different, yeah. Well, and Mary Payne, it was, it was kind of frustrating too because, you know, when you go to this trial, it's going to be six weeks long. You think you're going to get those answers. Right. You think they're going to have an answer for where the gas came from and how we got in the house. And 
you know, oh, well, the fire didn't start because he threw a sweater that was soaked in gas and the sweater didn't make it. I mean, just things that. Right. But they don't. There's a lot of things you just don't know a lot. And a lot of the reason for that is because part of the evidence scene burned, you know. Right. Of course. Um, But yeah, <laughs> it's interesting because we interview jurors, um, which is actually in our next upcoming episode. I was just going to ask you if you're going to talk <laughs> to jurors. Okay, Yeah. Great. And, and we can talk more about that. But um, like Jack just said, it doesn't, you know. They had to look at the elements of each charge and decide, okay, are, you know, how do we feel? D- did the government prove that these elements fit? They're, the government isn't asking, do you think that, you know, he brought a weapon with him or not? You know what I'm saying? Like, right, it's, like right, right. They're, they're, not, they're not signing off on every single, uh, every single part of the timeline. They're just saying, okay, you know, when they it comes to the They have to only answer charge. the questions that are put to them. Yes. Right. Yeah. I've, I've been on a um, jury before, not anything like this. Um, it was like a weapons charge, but the weapon was eventually used in a murder that the guy had helped get a gun. And it's the same thing. It's like you have to only answer the questions given to you. Do we think this? Do we think that? It doesn't matter. And you have to really, in a room full of strangers you've never seen, met or seen before and have no idea what their personalities are, you have to talk about do we think this, do we think that, and then it doesn't matter what we think. Does it fit what we're being asked? Um, we're going to take a little break and we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the trial. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Okay, I'm back with Megan and Jack from the 22 Hours podcast. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the trial, which, uh, Megan, you went to every day, and Jack, you went to some. Um, what, in the podcast, it's very interesting because you guys play back Every day you, when you would walk out, you, it was almost like a frenzy. Like you would walk out of the courtroom and call Jack like, here's what I heard. Blah, 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 right. and rapid fire. Because as we know, if you would have waited until that night, you probably would have forgotten 10 things or six other things would have entered your mind. Or you may have redo it in your mind of how you heard it. Right. Yeah. So, so I really loved how you guys had the forethought to record those calls. Now, what made you think like, not only am I going to take the pictures of these notes and we're going to record Everything like you were in your mind thinking this could be something bigger. We could make a podcast. We could, you know, <laughs> we were smiling at each other because I think that we really didn't know if the podcast was going to be a thing. Right. I mean, we really didn't. But but it was I think it was because of the time that we didn't have <laughs> was those calls because we at the same time as we're, you know, um, you know, have the podcast in the back of our mind. We have to turn something that day for WTOP for the report for the actual daily reporting. Exactly. Yes. So, and our boss had asked us to record the conversation. So I was like, "Well, it's just one extra step." You know, hit record. But yeah, I, I was kind of a little lackadaisical, like not really paying attention, like how good the quality was. It was just like a one extra step, but we didn't know what we were going to really. Yeah. So, so Jack had a live blog of the trial. And so I would call him. I mean, literally, I was like, had a tuna sandwich in one hand, like it's yeah. starting to rain. I'm like, Ugh. you know, I'm like trying to like balance the, the phone on your shoulder, which doesn't work anymore. And I'm like, yeah. OK, I, how, why are we doing this? Um, and that's why I think a lot of the, the recordings seem I mean, honestly, if I could redo them, knowing we would use them, <laughs> I might say something different just because I, 
you know, I mean, I think when you start recording calls and you're not really thinking that anything's going to happen, you say whatever. I mean, you're, you're just being yourself and you're saying, OK, this is what I think happened. And you're, you're giving not only sharing a little bit of your opinion, which as a reporter, I'm not 100 percent comfortable doing. Right. But I was trying to convey to him using the best, you know, words I could pull, like, you know, pe- people's demeanor or how somebody was walking or what they were wearing. and Because he was updating the blog, like, during the day. Right. And then I would file a story. I'd run back in there, like, you know, hopefully I had a chance to hit the bathroom on the way in. And then we'd be in there for another four hours. And then we'd do it all again at the end of the day. Um, and so, to be honest, I didn't even know, like, what would be relevant and what wouldn't, you know, in the end. And you weren't able to – were you looking at his blogs at the end of the day or you were just still doing your own thing? Ooh, you're and, catching me in it. <laughs> <laughs> I, what, what I meant to say was I'm sure you read his blogs. Anyway. I mean, obviously. <laughs> every the, night I'd go home. And the thing is, so like in the conversations that we were having, there was a lot of stuff that didn't even make it into the blog. Like for that, I was just really focused on you know, who are the witnesses, what's coming out. But there was a lot of where we were um, – trying to figure out what things mean or our impressions, you know, like, ah, that doesn't really ring true to me. Mm-hmm. I would never have put that in the blog at the time. It's your opinion. Right. right. You know, so so they really are kind of unvarnished. And we didn't really listen to them. Um, I didn't. I never went back and listened to them until after the trial when we were putting together this podcast. But it really, we did kind of forget that we were recording. So you have really kind of unvarnished takes. And to your point, exactly that they are kind of really snap um, moments in time mm-hmm. judgments, you know, because they were recorded. You know, for example, the day that um, Darren went testified, you know, Megan came out of the courtroom at the first break that he testified, and it was just her immediate impression. And we have that on tape. You know, I think if if we would have waited months and tried to look back, or even later that day, I might have had a different impression. Right, right, know? because your initial impression could have been one thing when he was on the stand, and then when he finished testifying, you could have been like totally like at the beginning you you because you describe how people were sitting and what hunched over or Mm -hmm. not or mumbling or not um and all of that by the end of the day you could have forgotten yes and focused on maybe the words that he said right and it kind of created a character too i mean the more kind of detail you have about someone it it creates that character i also feel like it it gave us a, a snapshot of our misunderstanding during the trial right because a lot of stuff came out towards the end that for example, um, all of the uh, call times that, you know, there was that all his call records in this really tiny spreadsheet. and You could barely see it up on the screen. Mm-hmm. And all of the timestamps were in UTC. So it was like, OK, we'll take this time, but then subtract four hours. And you're like, oh, my gosh. So that's just like military time. Yeah, but you're trying yeah. to. Well, yeah, it was a different time zone. But you're right. trying to Yeah, they used to it. call it um, Greenwich Mean Time, but now it's called UTC. So it's four <laughs> hours ahead of us. Okay, but why do they do it that? Exactly, I don't, I don't exactly. Okay. And then so, we're but the phone, the phone companies, because when they get the phone records, uh-huh. that's how the phone companies supply it. Because they don't think, you know, they I guess so standardize it's like standard, yeah. yeah. Okay. But you're looking at this massive spreadsheet, and you're trying to write it down as quickly as you can from far away, and then you're like, and then you're doing math. It was a disaster. Yeah, and that would not be good for me. No, it was not good the for math. Me. It was yeah. not good for me. And so I, for some reason, there was just one piece of evidence. We don't have to go into it because it ended up not being my understanding was incorrect. But I would call Jack and just be like, well, that just doesn't make any sense. Because it was really throwing off our understanding of the timeline. We're like, that doesn't, you know, how could this call be at this time? And then, yeah, come to find out by the, <laughs> it like, the second to the last day of the trial, we learned that that call was in universal coordinated time. So subtract four. And then all of a sudden it fell into place. Oh, this makes a lot more sense now. It was one of the last calls Amy made out of the house. Okay. And we were like, well, if they were 
it, it just it was a huge deal because it would mean that they're still alive at a certain time when I thought, you know, yes. it was a big moving piece. But it's an example of, you know, these calls, while sometimes they're very helpful, sometimes they show how we really weren't seeing it. Yeah, you know, because there was a lot in the trial with um, Durrell, the brother and his phone records showing that, that, you know, they kind of tried to be like, dun, dun, dun. He ordered a Domino's pizza. (laughs) But I was like, well, but it was a completely different Domino's pizza, a completely different order to his friend's house. So that's not okay. And then they're trying you order from Domino's pizza a lot. I was like, well, I mean, everybody does. I mean, you know, (laughs) I felt a little bit of that was like, all right, move past this because that's, you know, he's like, yeah, I order at my friend's house pizza a lot. Like I'm a dude and we order pizza. I mean, you know, right. But but a a lot of that with his phone in particular, um, saying how he was with his brother that day. It was interesting how the prosecutor tried to say to Darren that he sat there and listened to the whole trial and then made a timeline, which I'm thinking, okay, that's definitely possible. And maybe he did. However, his brain would have to work pretty fast to have that timeline as the trial was going on and then be able to testify for it. Mm -hmm. You definitely would be caught up. You'd be tripped up. And frankly, all of us were making a timeline, not that we're all sitting in Darren's seat, but it was like there was so much information coming out that it was it didn't seem and, – and Judy Pipe said that. He has every note to take – right, to take notes in his own trial. Yes. Um, but there was so much information, like you said. It, it would be very difficult to end up with an accurate detailed timeline. Right. And then be able to back it up under – you know, I mean, I can't imagine how nerve-wracking it is not only to be on trial for all these murders but to be sitting there and being cross-examined. So how long was the trial? You said six weeks? Six weeks, yeah. Okay. And – were there family members of the victims there every day? Yes. Yeah. Amy's father was there every single day. Um, and Sava's parents came most days. Um, they were not there for the autopsies. And Amy's father sat in for the autopsies, which I couldn't believe. I was going to ask you, I mean, you have covered a lot of crime. Um, how do you just as a human see things like that, which of course, I don't know what it looks like, and I never want to know. How how do you see things like that and step back from it? Like, okay, but this is my job, and I have to look at it and go back and talk to Jack about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think there's only so much you can protect yourself from from seeing that stuff and not feeling human. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was prepared for Philip to be the hardest to see, mm-hmm. and frankly, he wasn't um, because he didn't look like a person. Right. You know, it, it, he was so burned, he didn't look like a person. But then when you saw Amy and Sava and Vera, they obviously had wounds that had been cleaned. But it was like, you know, you saw her nails were all done. It was like, mm. it was just, it felt more, um, there were moments of humanity in that. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, I, it just looked like you could see a hand and it was a hand and you knew where that, that injury was. And you could kind of be like, oh, my God, that would really hurt, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to seeing something that's burned. And you, I can't relate to that. Um, so seeing sure. seeing their bodies and the injuries to their bodies and just honestly, I mean, I, I told this to Jack and it's it was very personal for me. It just felt like they were sort of just like splayed out, you know, like they're on this slab. Obviously, they're no longer with us, but right. it's just hard to see someone just fully exposed sort of like that. I mean, yes. we didn't see um, specific areas of their body that would really be. Um, inappropriate, but we saw the the injuries and we saw, you know, just them laying, laying there and it just felt, it was just very hard. And I called him afterwards and I said, you know, what am I even going to share here? 
What's right. even worth sharing that nobody really cares how I feel, A, and B, you know, what, where's the line between sharing too much and, and having respect? For, having respect, yes, exactly. Mm. But then also letting people understand this was not an easy death. I mean, right. they had horrible injuries. They were tortured. It, it was awful. So Right. So when you think about what he's on trial for. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I just think that um, there's some people that uh, if they're into true crime or TV shows, you know, fictional, whatever, some people don't mind looking at those type of things. And to them, it puts the story together. But for me, personally, myself, I cannot look at it. It's in, it's in my brain. I mean, anything horrible I've ever seen in my life is just like in my brain. So mm-hmm. I think as a crime reporter, knowing that that's part of your job, like you have to look at it to put it into context with the case would be extremely difficult. Yeah. And I, I, I assume, but I don't know that this is maybe the worst thing you've ever seen in all your years. I mean, it's definitely the worst injuries I've ever seen. Um, and I, I think that if, it, you know, if there was one picture of Sava and one picture of Amy, it'd be like, OK, I can maybe handle that. But yeah. it was like hours because um, they detailed every injury. Well, speaking of the people being at the trial, was any of was Darren's family there? Darren's family was not there. However, we've learned that they were told if you if you show up for trial, but you're saying that you're not available to testify right. – that doesn't square with us. I mean, if you're here, we're going to put you on. Well, yeah, on the I think the, the understanding was that um, much of Darren's family were potential prosecution witnesses because none of his family could alibi him for those. Um, right, right, right. For those days, so um, anyone who is a potential witness cannot um, come to the courtroom and, and see the trial because um, until they've testified, because they don't want witness they don't want witnesses to hear what other witnesses have said because that could right. taint their testimony. Well, like they were trying to say that he was making that timeline based on what he heard, right? Right. Which and even like a less nefarious thing is just if you have two witnesses to a specific event and the first witness hears what the other witness testifies, maybe their account will change a little bit to match that, not even really consciously. Right. So anybody right. who is a, a witness um, or a, p- a potential witness cannot, you know, be a spectator at the trial until after they've testified. And almost Darren's entire family um, was on the prosecution witness list. So right. they, they and they didn't want to testify. Right. So if they, if they showed up, then. they'd have Yeah. To, yeah. OK. So let me ask you another one more question about the trial. So were there any parts of it that were seemingly boring? I mean, you know, like you think of like the OJ trial, mm-hmm. something that went on for months and months and months. Well, you know, the people said that were there that, uh, yes, it seemed like on TV, but there were so many parts that were just like so bogged down in science, for example, that people would seemingly be bored. Like if they break down like DNA and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Did you find any of it to be like? All right, they could move this along, or <laughs> but you know it's not like you see on TV. Like you, it's a real trial. Like there's real people that died. There's a real person that's going to jail. Right, and everything's relevant somehow, even if you don't understand how in the moment. Right. Yes, a hundred percent. They were boring. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, yes, because uh, you know, the they're maybe they're getting to a question that's going to matter, but they have to set it up with well, what is a nanogram of DNA? Right. An anagram. I mean, if you, and if we kind of boiled it down to, you know, okay, think of a, a grain of salt and we compared it to a grain of salt, but that's not how they did it. They did like, you know, just fractions upon fractions upon fractions and, and just more scrap. math, more, more math. math, more science. More math. And it is, I mean, it sort of is interesting a trial because there's so many experts who come in and you just get this snapshot of other people's jobs and you're like, wow, I couldn't do that job or wow, that's interesting. You know, it's right. There's so 
in, in depth um, as far as like what they're describing and how they the, the perspective they have on the evidence. But there was also some evidence that I just didn't think we needed to spend as much time as we did on. Mm-hmm. Like they had somebody go out to the uh, the grassy area where near where the Porsche was burned. Um, right. OK. And he like mapped it. He walked it. And, and how many steps is it to I mean, and all that's relevant because we want to know how fast would it take for someone to run from that car? How far was it? I mean, right. But do we need to spend, you know, an hour on that? Uh, <laughs> right. You know, there were some yeah. times where you're kind of like, yeah. oh, OK, let's wrap it up. But, I, you know, you also have to have respect for the process. So and they were they were kind of interesting. It was somewhat theatrical, but but not in a weird way because they would all the evidence, you know, they would haul it out in these boxes and then open it up in the courtroom, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, some of it was was um, you know like uh, a, a bloody comforter from the bedroom, you know, oh really, you know, gripping stuff. But other things were like pieces of duct tape, you know. But like literally, right. it was all boxed up, and they just opened it up. You know, they had to do like this almost Reveal. like yeah. yeah, it was right. It was uh, interesting. Man. But I guess, you know, to the the reason is because all this evidence has been boxed up and the jury is making a very important decision. So you have to, you know, show that you have all of this evidence and that, you know, it hasn't been tampered with because it's been sealed in these boxes. And right. just now for the first time since it's been collected or tested, you're opening it up for the jury. Right. So as we know, um, in the end, Darren was found guilty. But after listening to the podcast up to date, um, I don't understand how he could have done it alone. And all the timelines and even just keeping up with the various vehicles that were moving around, hmm. right? His van, the Porsche, uh, his brother's various cars. Mm-hmm. The I mean, it, it just seems like there has it has to have been more than one person involved. And because Darren was so quick to throw his two brothers completely under the bus and say he had nothing to do with it. He never knew those people. He did eat a piece of pizza and then he left, right? So in your thought process of how the trial went, because I know you don't want to say personally what you think, but don't don't you feel like with the amount of horrific damage that was done that more than one person would have to be responsible? It's not only – it's funny because, you know, it's not only the cars. It's like – just the the logistics of it, we, we, that's like the number one question we get because there's different parts of the story that in most people's minds would require more than one person. Right. You know, and not even just taking them all, um, you know, hostage and, and restraining them, um, which the prosecution made a very good argument for that if you take them one by one, it doesn't have to be, you know, this – major act. I mean, you, you can take a 10-year-old, that's easy. You can take a, you know, an, a 57-year-old woman who maybe has no, like, fighting skills, you know, you take her quickly. And if you take them one by one, it's it's easier. But then but there's still the dad who's standing still the there. Dad. You know I guess I mean? Who I, we think was was compromised, like, as soon as he walked in the door. Or somebody could just run out the front door. I mean, you know, yeah. or, yeah. I or guess the housekeeper. What, I don't, like, what I What prosecutors what I, advance, which does make a lot of sense to me, is that once you have somebody's child, they will be, do whatever you ask. I mean, True. because nobody wants to risk putting their child in harm. And since we we believe that Philip was one of the first people taken at that point, and I think um, uh, I think maybe Amy, Amy and Sava believe that if they just gave in to his demands, right. that that would assuage him and he would let Philip go. Right. That he would let them all go, that they would all survive. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the thought is that he just somehow Vera opened the door to him and he was in their house. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, it's so much I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, and we'll never know unless Darren actually 
comes clean and tells the truth because very obviously he was there. Right. And a lot of the stuff is attributed to him. So unless he ever just comes clean and tells the whole truth, we'll never we'll never know. I mean, that's maddening, right? It's maddening. Yeah. It, I mean, it is. And, and there's there's parts of the story, like we say, you know, how he got in. Like, did Vera open the door? I mean, there's parts of that that maybe would answer if we had the answer to maybe that question, maybe we'd have more of an idea. Was it more than one person? Right. Right. We, we just don't know. But I mean, I think Jack's right. It's like this, the psychological hold he had over them by having Philip gave him the physical power, you know, to That's hold right. them. And there's no motive established. I mean, other than he wanted money, but mm-hmm. like, why them? He could have. I'm sure he knew plenty of other rich people in his life he'd worked for that he could, you know. Yeah, I mean, they, the, the prosecution said he was the richest guy that that Darren ever knew. Right. But again, he worked there ten years earlier, and we have no evidence. It wasn't like he was disgruntled and had been fired the month before. Right. Right. I mean, maybe he was disgruntled, but ten years. Right. It's a long time, and and then. You know, there's not there's not really a lot of evidence that that they had any interaction. I mean, there's possibility they would have seen each other, but Darren was a welder. He's on the welding floor. Sava is running the company. They're not really CEO, be in the same yes. space, right? Um, and Darren got fired because he didn't come to work that day. It's not like you know he right. was fired wrongly, right? Um, and we don't even know that Sava did the firing. I mean, it could I would imagine his... the CEO does not do the firing. No, I mean, right. I think it's probably the guy, you know, his manager, and Sava probably maybe signed off on it. But right. again, I mean, we we don't know. Maybe maybe he did, but we don't. As far as we can tell, there was no real interaction between the men. So why that family? And so you asked the judge to release the actual recordings of the trial. Um, and I loved how you approached the judge and were like, I'm recording you. And he was very <laughs> very nice to chat with you and didn't have a problem with it. Um, is there any update on that? No, the court has um, convened a working group um, and they're examining the issue from a technology perspective. You know, um, are they able to record the proceedings of a trial, but that also wouldn't pick up privileged communications between the attorneys and defendants? That's something they're concerned uh-huh, about. Right. OK. So we'll see. I think um, we're very, you know, we're very gratified that they took our request seriously, that they are convening this working group to study it. My feeling is that this working group could take quite a while to come yes. to a conclusion. A yes. working group in Washington is usually <laughs> is a, a well. slow process. Well, and you have to consider, too, that it's not just about our case. I mean, if they release this these affects, audio files, yeah. it's going to apply to every other case. I mean, they're making right. a, a, a broad ruling there. So I think there's a lot to consider. And yeah, we respect right. that. But gosh, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. So is Darren appealing the case? Yes. His... Um, the Public Defender Service here in D.C. is still handling his case, but it's a different division. Now it's the Appeals Division. So his attorney, uh, his attorneys throughout this case, Judith Pipe and Jeffrey Stein, are no longer handling his case. It's the Appeals Division of the Public Defender Service. Um, tra- I've been tracking it online. There's you know paperwork filed back and forth, and it's in process. Um, but we've been told that this could take the better part of a decade. Oh, good grief. Because it already took three years to get to trial. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups 
It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. So we're back with Megan and Jack, the 22 Hours podcast. So on my podcast, I talk a lot about podcasts. And I just want your opinion, since you work for WTOP, which I said is a 24-hour news cycle here in D.C. that gives us, you know, uh, traffic on the eights and our weather. And, you know, everybody here is very dependent on WTOP. So what's your feeling on the... The news cycle is a 24-hour news cycle, which, of course, is not what I grew up with. You know, you, you got your news at 5 and you got your newspaper. But now, of course, CNN and all these things. But now the 24-hour news cycle has jumped into the podcast world where every morning there's a podcast that you can listen to the news from the day before or what's coming up. What What is your feelings on that? It's interesting because on-demand listening has become so huge. Um, WTOP really – I mean our listener is really the person who's driving. Yes. It's really the commuter. Um, and because of podcasts, you know, a lot of people I know, at least, are commuting with podcasts now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is interesting. It's a challenge for not only WTOP, but for the radio industry in general, because people just want to press play and want it to start from the beginning, wherever fast they are. Fast forward your commercials. Yes. Exactly. And fast yeah. forward the commercials. And I think it's a little bit, you know... People like this a little bit old school, you know. They like that they that they tune in and they don't necessarily know what they're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as live shots or you know, um, experts that we have on or analysis or you know whatever it is, but um, I think we still. I'm going to give you you know more local news, in depth news that you get on a, than you get on a podcast. So say something happened here, like there was a, you know, a school lockdown or something. We're going to know immediately all the things to tell you, and there's an immediacy to that that you can't get on a produced podcast. Right. That was made six at six o'clock that morning. Right. So I think there is there's space for both. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's a new kind of era of audio. I never really thought about that, that people get in their car and they just put on their podcast, which I do. Now, I do it because this is my job and I listen to podcasts. If, if I'm awake, I'm listening to a podcast. <laughs> um, at night, I give myself a break and watch a little reality TV. But you know what I mean? It's the same thing. I get in my car. But if something happens... Or I'm like, my ways is sending me this way or that way. I wonder why. I will always turn on WTOP to listen because I need that information. Or if I'm stopped, I'll look at my Twitter because WTOP will tell me. Mm-hmm. There was something happening at our local Target yesterday. I mean, we drove up to Target and I literally said to my 16-year-old daughter, I was like, oh, something's going down at the Target. I mean, there was cops everywhere. So immediately, I like, I get on my Twitter and I look at Patch, which tells you nothing. And then I look at WTOP, who didn't have anything. It was actively happening. Mm-hmm. But that's my first reaction. So I, I think you're right. I think there's space for everything. I mean, you know, the Daily is not going to tell me what happened in the Target parking lot, that there right. were six cars with guys on the ground, like but WTOP would. Right. So that's um, that's interesting. I was just wondering, as your um, have you been in this space for so long, you know, what your thought is about, you know, and I hear every other day, like, ABC's doing it or somebody's mm-hmm. doing it. They're doing these morning podcasts, mm-hmm. which is a little bit like the skim, right, that you get in your email box. It's just like a little bite of what's happening in the world. But if you need to listen to it throughout the day, you need to 
to have live coverage, you know, like what you guys are doing. I mean, I think it's brilliant to, to have a, a, you know, press play and you have all the information in 20 minutes, you know, as opposed to waiting for, you know, the five o'clock news, for example. But I, I yeah, like just like we said, I think that there's space for, you know, getting people started. Here's the news you need to know, you know, giving them some analysis and in-depth coverage like The Daily does or start here. Mm-hmm. But then I also think there's a local news space and there's an immediate kind of breaking news space where, you know, local news still matters. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So... Since the two of you are in the news business, I always ask what podcast you listen to. I'd love to know what podcast you listen to for news and also for just just to listen to for fun, if you have time, rather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think well, I'll speak for myself. One of the kind of interesting things about working on this podcast is I, I am not a huge um, podcast consumer, mm-hmm. um, so which I think maybe kind of was a um, a benefit for this podcast because there's an extensive um, true crime genre that we were really not familiar with. We were kind of coming at this as, you know, complete newbies. I think that kind of helped us tell the story without, you know, kind of falling into the same tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did listen to the first season of Serial, you know, several years ago when it first came out. Um, and I just remember being, you know, totally find it, finding it totally gripping. Um, so that's throughout this process kind of always been the back of my head. And then as we were um, starting out on this process, our boss asked us to listen to In the Dark, another um, investigative oh, podcast. Mm-hmm. And that um, kind of made me see what was possible. You know, kind of the, the work that they're doing um, is is truly amazing. And they have you know a much larger team than we have. But that was kind of our exemplar of, you know, kind of for, for me, at least of kind of what was what the realm of the possible. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I... Um, I listen to the daily, but not daily, probably more like (laughs) weekly. But I really like um, that um, there is a a really well-developed true crime genre as a way to tell a long-form story. And I would – what I like that the daily is doing and I would like to – I think it would be interesting to see other kind of other innovations of what other kind of stories can you tell in a in-depth, long-form um, style. We know for whatever reason that true crime stories really attract people in that long form style. And I would li- I, I think that maybe there's other stories out there that would benefit from that same long form audio storytelling and that maybe we could bring, you know, um, other types of stories to people as well. So you're looking for your next case is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. We'll see. I mean, that's what's interesting about this is it kind of, you know, the podcast grew organically from our coverage. So it feels like we, you know, we were invested from the start as opposed to wanting to do a podcast and looking for the right And starting thing. from scratch. Yeah. Yes. So do you have any other podcast you want to recommend? Megan? Well, the funniest thing, so our boss told us to listen to In the Dark, and I apparently just didn't remember that and listened to Up and Vanished instead because it another was Another like, great one. <laughs> another great one. But it was like the three words, you know, it was a cr- true crime. And they but you t- know, Up and Vanished and In the Dark both have stories about Mississippi. Yes. Which is where I'm from. So Really? Yes. So mm. so I would come in and they'd be like, don't you think this part is interesting? I'm like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> that isn't at all. In the <laughs> so it took us a little while to figure that out. Um, actually, I don't listen to crime because I have to maintain some kind of sanity. Um, yes, absolutely. So I listen to – I actually listen to Start Here, uh, the ABC um, podcast mm-hmm. in the morning, which I really like. Um, it's only 20 minutes long. I think sometimes – I like the daily, but sometimes it's like they focus on one – um, they'll go deep on one issue. And sometimes if you're into that issue, it's like fantastic. Right. But if you're not really into it, I like Jack, you kind of listen once a week. Um, but I like um, like Gretchen Rubin, Happier. I like um, I listened to Wow in the World with my nieces the other day from NPR, like a science sort of narrative podcast for kids. Uh, that was really cute. And I kind of try and find 
different like genres of podcasts just to see how they're doing it, you know? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, comedy, I mean, stuff like that, just to kind of lighten it up a little bit. Right, right. And, and I do find I do the same. If if I've listened to something like 22 Hours or In the Dark or I've Been Banished, I sometimes I need a little uh, a little a little break. It's sort of like if you're binging something on Netflix, I'm not a, a sit there for 12 hours and watch it. I, also, because then I'm sad because then it's over. So I like to <laughs> I like to draw it out. But also, if you're if you're watching something like that, just so much, it really just gets in your head. Get, yeah, gets as I'm doing this. It was just great for a podcast. I'm <laughs> waving my hands around my face as if everyone can see me. Right. It really gets in your head and you sometimes it's hard to get out, you know, and, and you're trying to just like go to sleep and like, oh, what about this? What about that? Yeah, you're you know? thinking about it. What podcast mm-hmm. are you listening to now? Well, I'm listening to yours. I'm listening to a really good one called Culpable. Again, it's about a case in Mississippi. And I'm listening to one called Insomniac. Hmm. And I, I like the light ones, too. I liked uh, Missing Richard Simmons with Dan Taberski, who I'm a big fan of. You know, I like the uh, – that's a little bit of a, a, a true crime in that he no one knows where he is, but he's – still with us you know yeah. it's it's just a little bit of a mystery I like and I'd really like um, what Jack was saying I like a long form story I like a short bite too I like a my favorite murder but but a, a long form and I do th- I do it to myself same as if I do with Netflix right I give myself like two weeks and then I listen to two in a row you know <laughs> and I love to find one that's finished that I can be like oh I can listen to the whole thing yeah. right and I don't feel that stress of like you, you said you have a new one coming out where you're talking to the jurors and now I feel the stress of like when's that coming so I can <laughs> so I can listen well it'll be there though if you don't get to it on Monday but yeah that's it's yes. stressful for us believe me to, <laughs> to put um, them out every Monday I want to ask you really quickly about talking to the jurors did you reach out to all the jurors or just a few just a few. It took us. Um, we kind of did a, had to do a little investigating to find some of them, but but all the ones that we we reached out to three, um, and they all agreed to speak with us. So, and I have one more thing I want to uh, mention to you. It's it's sort of a fine line as a reporter to, and then maybe kind of in the podcast world where something so horrible and tragic that you really can't even wrap your brain around how horrible it is is seen as um, fodder or entertainment. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not entertainment. You're not entertained, but it's more of the fascination of the story of why this person did this horrible, horrible thing. So, what's sort of your reply to that when people say you're making entertainment out of a, a, a tragedy? I think, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I think my response is we're telling the story in the most complete way that it's ever been told, um, putting in all of those details. And so, first of all, people have a choice to listen or not listen, right? right. If they mm-hmm. want to not be, quote unquote, entertained by that that story, that's understandable. But I sort of see it as it is reporting in a narrative form. Mm-hmm. Where we're telling you what happened and we're using the voices of the people who are part of the story and we're using, you know, the evidence and investigation of D.C. police and the U.S. attorney's office and, you know, these juggernauts like, you know, that that have done their due diligence. And so it's not something that we're making up. We take no liberties at all with the facts. Um, and even it's funny, Jack, we had this conversation the other day um, about the moment of the arrest and they're surrounded by these cars. And I had written, well, so-and-so realizes it's over. Uh-huh. And Jack goes, we don't know he realized that. True. Right. And I said, well, I, yeah, I guess we don't because we're not there with him, you know? Right. And so we don't even take – we that don't liberty. even jump that liberty, mm-hmm. you know? So we're just – it's very, very, very to the letter 
Um, and we take pride in that. So I think as, as much as you can make a story out of a crime by putting all of these details together, we're trying to do it in the most respectful and honest way we can. Right. And you do talk a lot about each of the victims, um, exactly what they were like, how their friends and neighbors described them. And you talked a lot with Nellie, the, the other housekeeper who was very close with every single person in the house, which, mm-hmm. of course, is completely heartbreaking, too. So I, I just want to recommend to all my listeners that they listen to it because – it does tell such a complete story. And the way that you did it, like I said, was starting off with the 911 and the firefighter. I didn't even know firefighters recorded themselves. So that was and, – and then your conversations with each other that you have during the trial. I think it's all so real-time uh, emotions of, of what's happening. And I think that it's just just done perfectly. And so I hope that you two do get together and do another podcast at some point. Thank you. We'll see if we if we don't kill each other by the end of this. Uh, po- no. That might be the next case. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Oh, no, we appreciate that. It's it's been a lot of hard work, but it's something that we really put our hearts into. So it's it's nice to hear that people are enjoying it and. It's resonating, really. Yeah, and it's been very highly rated on the iTunes charts. And every time I look, I'm like, whoa, look at that. Yeah, I mean, you guys should be really proud. So I want to thank you guys for coming today and tell my listeners where they can find out more about the podcast and about you two. So we have a website, 22hourspodcast.com. You can see photo galleries, links to other information. If you want to read the cross-examination of Darren Witt yourself, we have the PDF there. Um, we have a map of different locations. So uh, 22hourspodcast.com is where you can find all of this kind of supplementary information. And then um, on social media, we're at 22hourspod on Twitter. Um, and then Jack and I are on the WTOP website and on, you can find us through those okay. as well. Yeah. And it, just a plug, we are doing an unanswered questions episode at the end of the podcast for people who have listened to the whole thing and still have questions. So through either of those two channels, the website or um, Twitter, you can um, write your questions. There's a call in line that you can, that you can find the number on the Twitter. So send questions if you have them. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I might have some questions. Yay. I might send you a question about the gas can. I, we'll use it. I, actually, we we are hoping that people call in because you know the, the more audio we have of our listeners asking these questions, it just is better to hear people's voices. So, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's what we're hoping. Well, you know, I love to hear myself talk, so I can. <laughs> not really. Now you'll get another podcast. <laughs> not, not really. Not really. I want to uh, remind all my listeners they can find me on social media at Pain in the Pod. And again, I ask you, let me know what you're listening to and give me some new good ideas. So, thank you, Megan and Jack, for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank Thanks. you.